Good morning. I would like to share a story with you this morning about one of the scariest life decisions I've ever had to make. It was just under two years ago when I was deciding whether or not I was going to accept the offer of a 12-year contract from the Canadian Forces to train and serve as a military chaplain. Though, yes, I had been working toward the goal for a while, there are a limited number of openings in the program every year, and it had seemed like a long shot. So once the offer was actually sitting in front of me, I froze up a bit. Would I be able to handle the physical demands that would be made of me? Would I be able to handle going back to school? Would my family be able to handle me being away when I needed to be? I had, to be honest, become quite comfortable in my life at that point, and walking through the door of this opportunity was 100% going to result in my leaving my comfort zone. It was a guarantee that there would be moments of discomfort not only for myself, but also for my family. I was hesitating. In fact, I'm in the church building right now, and I can remember being up in the loft with the leadership team at a meeting, where I ended up crying and asking for prayer because I was trying to figure out what I should do. The stress was real. In the end, even though I was scared, I accepted the offer. To be honest, sometimes I am still scared, but I am certain that I made the right call. As I've had a year and a half to reflect on why I struggled so much with the decision, I've realized that part of my struggle was that I had somehow internalized this idea that if there was something that God wanted me to do, I would feel peace about the entire endeavor. I would know that it was what I should do because I would just feel settled about it. I would be able to step confidently into the future with the reassurance that everything would be okay. The more I think about it, the more I wonder where I got that idea. Jesus told us that in this world we would have trouble. Now, as Brian shared with us last week, it is certainly true that the hope of the future that we have as Christians is something that carries us through the world no matter what the circumstances we are in, but that hope is not about being presently comfortable. I'm not quite sure how I fell into the idea that a gospel that spoke of peace, joy, hope, love, and justice being brought into a broken world would also prioritize my own comfort. But I had. I nearly let the idea of my comfort level guiding my actions rob me of an experience that has been, and I know will continue to be, a source of incredible personal and spiritual growth. As scared as I was back then, now that I've stepped through the door and embraced the opportunity, I can't imagine having not done so, even though it has been, and will continue to be, hard. I'm sharing that story with you because I'm concerned that my mistake of elevating my own comfort in my faith is a mistake that a lot of us make. And having done so robs us of a joy that is a part of our faith. You may be aware that this morning I have the privilege of concluding our series called Beyond These Walls, which has been a look at what it looks like to be the church or the people of God. As Brian has explained in the past few weeks, church isn't about a building or event. The Greek word from the Bible that is translated church is ekklesia, and ekklesia means an assembly of people gathered for a common purpose. Being the church, or ekklesia, is not something that is confined to a building. It's always been about the people and the purpose. The pandemic that we are in has restricted our ability to meet together and has made that even more real, but it has also created a, diff a difficult situation for all of us. While church is not about the building, 
Not being able to meet has been hard. I am an introvert that leans hard towards socially awkward, but I miss you. I know that the church is not about the building, but not being able to meet with you, it's been difficult. We want to acknowledge that. And so this series, Beyond These Walls, has explored what it looks like to be followers of Jesus here in now, in our lives, even during a pandemic, but not only during a pandemic. What does it mean for us to be an assembly of people gathered for the common purpose of God's mission, both now and going forward? This series has been exploring the things that draw and hold us together. The first two weeks of the series looked at the fact that we are meant to be a community of faith and that we each have individual roles to play in that community. Last week, we explored the fact that we are a people of hope and what that hope means for us. If you want to explore any of those previous topics in the series, you can find them on our YouTube or our podcast. This week, we are going to explore that we are a people of joy, even when faced with things that are difficult. In order to do so, we are going to explore a portion of a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. If you have a Bible and want to follow along, we'll be looking at Romans 5, 1 to 5. We'll be using the New Living Translation. So verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. To explain this sentence, I'm going to give you an incredibly, incredibly quick rundown of the Bible and the letter of Romans up to this point. So the Bible, as you may or may not know, starts with the book of Genesis. In the beginning of Genesis, we learn that humans were made in the image of God, and we are meant to have a good relationship with God, with each other, and with creation. Then we learn that sin, you know that thing, even if you don't know the word for it, but when there is something that is harming good, whether it is selfishness or greed or perversion, and whether it's your own or someone else's, it's something that's messed up a situation or a relationship and made it not good. That's sin. So sin broke that 360 good relationship that we were supposed to have, that humanity was supposed to have. And the story of the Bible is the story of God working to restore that brokenness to wholeness. A little bit further on in Genesis, we hear about a guy named Abraham, who God chose to be the beginning of that restored relationship between humanity and himself. So God says to Abraham, this is what I will do for you. And Abraham believes him and says, okay. Now Paul, in this letter that he wrote to the church in Romans, says that that moment when Abraham believed is when things were made right between God and Abraham. It wasn't anything to do with what Abraham did, it was his faith, that he said, okay. And yes, I am paraphrasing the okay. Um, Abraham said okay, and it was his faith that made the restoration of his relationship with God possible. And here in Romans, Paul says that it's the same with us. He says that because of what Jesus did, we are made right with God, and we can have peace with him. Jesus did the work, we just bring the faith. God says, this is what I will do for you. We say, okay, relationship restored. 
Peace with God is achieved through no work of our own. Paul explains it a little bit further. In verse two, he says, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Now, there's lots of points that I wanna pick out here, but I want to start by pointing out the we. We live in such an individualized society, even more so with us all stuck in our homes right now, that we tend to think of our dealings with God as in me and God. But when God told Abraham what he was going to do for him, he spoke about creating a community, a nation, out of Abraham's descendants, a group of people with a common purpose of being in relationship with God. When we believe, we become a part of that group. When Jesus died, he dealt with those aspects of our broken humanity that made it impossible for us to have a relationship with God. And then when he came back to life, he made it possible for us to be able to enter into God's glory to share in it. This is not something that we need to, needed to earn or could earn, but because of our faith, our acceptance of what Jesus has done, he brings us into this community that is God's. This assembly of people gathered for the purpose of a world reconciled with God. But what exactly does it mean to share God's glory? Last week, Brian spoke about the hope that we have as Christians, the promise that Jesus is coming back and his kingdom is going to be established. Brian rightly spoke about how our view of the future shapes how we see the world today, and that recognizing and remembering that God's plan will be achieved gives us hope in our current circumstances. What's interesting here in Romans 5 is that Paul is not just talking about looking forward to our seeing Jesus' glory or God's glory, but sharing in it. A little further in this letter to the Romans in chapter eight, Paul talks more about our sharing in the glory of God, and he says this about it. For all of creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. This is a day not only when the fullness of who God is is going to be revealed to us, but when the fullness of God will be revealed in us. Paul says that we can confidently and joyfully anticipate the coming of this day. The word that is used there is the same word that means rejoice. Knowing that this day is coming in the future can not only carry us through, but it's also a reason to celebrate. However, the fact that it is coming also reminds us that it's not here yet. Paul says that all of creation is groaning for this day. Um, he says that it's groaning as if in childbirth. I do not know if you have ever been present for a birth. I have been present for all of one labor. Yes, I have three children. That one labor I was present for went so poorly we were upgraded to a C-section and then we just maintained that for the next two babies. However, I still remember that one labor quite clearly, even though it was nine years ago. I had opted to not get an epidural because I had been told in my prenatal class that getting one would increase my chance of needing a C-section. Opting out of that did not help, apparently. Trying to deter a C-section with that decision did not work at all. Anyway, there is this period of time during labor called transition labor, 
where things are getting down to business and you're not quite ready to push the baby out yet. I remember it being unpleasant. When I read Paul's words about creation and Christians groaning as if in childbirth, I envision that. I envision transition labor. I think of being in incredible pain, rocking back and forth, my husband in front of me, white, of a, white as a ghost, looking like he's going to pass out, my mom behind me telling me what to do in a firm voice, which is exactly what I like when I am in pain, and it was painful. So I think about what Paul is saying, that we are all groaning for that, and I envision that place in between two phases, where something has begun, and then you are eagerly, with plenty of groaning, longing for what is, what is to come. And a little bit of it, or a lot of it, is because you just want the suffering to be over. And yet, if we go back to chapter five, we can see that Paul says this really weird thing. He says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. What? I can understand that there is suffering in the world because we are in this, like, transition labor thing where we are on our way to the culmination of what we are supposed to be, but we are not there yet. But why does Paul say that we are to rejoice when we run into problems and trials? Is this like some sort of bizarre Christian version of what doesn't kill you makes you stronger? No. I want to be very clear here that Paul's words do not mean that you are supposed to rejoice about every bad or difficult thing that has ever happened to you. That is not what he is talking about. There are many people in the world and in our church and in our personal circles who have experienced very difficult things, even sometimes evil things, and these verses are not a blanket statement that no matter what has happened to you, you are supposed to rejoice because your pain has taught you to endure, that it will make you stronger. There are, in fact, numerous portions of the Bible that acknowledge the need for grief, that acknowledge the need for lamenting and asking, why, God? For carrying our sorrows together, for receiving comfort from each other and from God who listens. We need to be very wary of misunderstanding the Bible and twisting its message into some kind of toxic positivity where every negative thing we experience deserves a smile. If you are going through a difficult time and you need someone, especially now, I encourage you to reach out. Reach out to some of the people that you know in the church or to myself or to Pastor Brian, we would love to be there for you because we do not believe that you just need to smile through every difficult situation. So we know from the whole Bible that it's not just being happy about every bad thing that happens. But what does this thing that Paul's saying, what does it actually mean? There are two clues in the verses themselves that reveal to us what it actually means when Paul is talking about rejoicing when we experience problems and trials. And the first clue is that the word that is translated problems and trials is most frequently used to describe persecution or difficulties that are associated with pursuing God's direction in your life. Some examples 
of what kind of problems or difficulties Paul would have been talking about can be seen in a very thorough list of some of the things he's been through in another letter he wrote when he was writing to the Christians in Corinth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verses 23, um, Paul says this, Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have been serving him far more. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times, times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced dangers in the city, in the deserts, and on the seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. None of that sounds comfortable. Or honestly, like a great advertisement for Paul's job. Now you'll notice that some of the situations here are outright persecution, but some of them are just difficult situations that were encountered or hard work that was required when Paul was serving God. They range from horrible to uncomfortable, and yet they are the same type of situations that Paul was saying that we should find joy in. So we have that clue. And the second clue in the verses that explain what Paul was talking about is in the growth that he describes. So he says we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, which means difficulties as we are trying to serve God. We can rejoice because we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. I will be honest that there have been times that I have been frustrated and struggled with understanding why character would lead to our confident hope of salvation. If we know that our ability to have peace with God and our ability to share in his glory is a result of the work of Christ and nothing of our own effort, why is strength of character tied in here with the hope of salvation? The key to understanding this is in the previous line of sharing God's glory. As I explained before, we are in the transition stage of having been claimed as gods but not yet being transformed fully into who we are meant to be. When we encounter problems along our faith journeys, we will see this progression of growth that Paul describes. And we will see that the growth that occurs in us as we go through these difficult situations encourages us because it reveals to us that God is at work. Sometimes we can be discouraged by the circumstances that we are having to deal with in the world because it is a broken world. But as we trust God, as we step out by faith, as we endure, we grow. In that growth that we see in ourselves individually and we see in ourselves as an assembly of people working toward a common goal, that growth increases our confidence in the work that God is doing. It increases our confidence that he is saving people, that he is saving the world, and that his kingdom is being built. This idea also helps us make sense of the next verse. It ties in. 
And this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. A couple of weeks ago in this series, Pastor Brian shared with us some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit moves through us to minister to others beyond the walls of the church building. Here we see that having been given the the Holy Spirit at all reveals to us how much God loves us. The Holy Spirit was given as a gift to guide us, to equip us, and to comfort us as we exist in this time of transition between the work that Christ has done for us and the time that he will return. The presence of the Holy Spirit in our church and in our lives reveals to us the love that God has for us. It reveals the plan that God has for us. His presence confirms that our hope will, be not, will not be disappointed because God is at work even now. Last week, Brian shared with us that as we recognize and remember that God's plan will be achieved, we are given hope for our current circumstances. This week, I am asserting that the hope that we have means that we can have joy in every difficult situation we face in our faith journey because it's this beautiful dovetail between knowing what Christ has done and being willing to serve him and then the difficulties that we face as we serve him changing us and reaffirming our hope that there is a work that God is doing in the world. We are a people of joy because we rejoice over what Christ has done. We rejoice over what he is doing and we rejoice over what he will do. The story that I shared at the beginning was not in any way to suggest that I've got this all figured out, but to acknowledge that as I said okay, even though I was scared, and even though it's been hard, I have grown. I am now more excited about the fact that God is at work in the world because I've seen him at work in and through me, even as I navigate being faithful through difficulty. I don't know how your faith has fared over the last year. I don't know how you are doing right now. I know many people are struggling with the even more stringent restrictions that have come, came into effect this weekend. I sincerely doubt you need any more to-dos on your list. I have one suggestion for you today. I want to encourage you to ask God what he wants to do for you or through you. Then consider saying okay. It won't always be easy. It certainly won't always be comfortable. But he wants to give you and the world peace, hope, and love. No matter what we face as we walk with him, we will be able to rejoice because he is at work. We will see it in ourselves. We will see it in our church. We will see it in our community and we will be able to celebrate. Thank you for being here. We will see you online next week.